Okay, so it's John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. The vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command, I no longer call you servants, because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I called you friends, for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. great and anyway she's sitting there and she's getting a bit agitated and I'm kind of about two steps away so I can kind of leap in and grab her because it's not like a front on it or anything and um, the photographer said okay you stand back a bit Sarah and just get dad to stand there on kind of control safety control um, so I step back and Graham's standing there just out of sight of the camera lens and then all of a sudden she's sitting there and then she launches forward and Graham manages to catch her in this most heroic catch but without but first, she does this flip around his arm, and she's literally holding her upside down, 
<laughs> by her dress. <laughs> this far from the concrete floor. Ooh, talking about a heart in your mouth moment. And then I was driving out here and I got halfway and I realised I got baby spew on my shoulder, so it's been one of those weekends. Anyway, I hope you've all had a slightly less traumatic one than we have. In this last series, um, called Who Are We? Remember we've been looking at who we are as the church, as the people of God, so that we can understand our call um, as Christians and why we meet together. Uh, this is the last service um, sermon on this series, and in the first week, I'm just going to quickly recap. Remember I spoke about what it means to be the royal priesthood, and uh, God's image bearers, reflecting his image, looking after one another who are fellow image bearers. And uh, we're taught how the Holy Spirit was sent to empower us. We can't do it on our own. And uh, it's only through his power can we be his, priest, his royal priesthood. And then the next week, Graham talked about what it means to be holy and set apart. And remember, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we be holy. And also, holiness is a gift. That was a big takeaway, wasn't it? It's a gift. It's not a performance indicator, which is very um, life-giving, I found. Um, Mickey, the next week, talked about what it means to be the chosen people of God, um, special to him, and that our identity shouldn't be based in what we do or achieve, but in who we are as his children. So today I'm going to wrap up the series um, by looking at this passage in John's Gospel, and what I have to say really just echoes the other three and ties them all together, and also kind of helps us to understand why we call Abide, why we've chosen to go with that name. So let's just quickly pray as we start. Father, we thank you that you have called us here today. We thank you that despite the torrential downpour and everything else that's going on, we can take the time to sit in your presence, fellowshipping together and hearing your word and singing and fellowshipping over pizza. And Father, we just ask that these words would have your life in them, that you would touch us in our hearts where we need it most, and that you would teach us what it really means to abide in you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. This passage from John's Gospel is probably quite familiar to most of you. Um, there's many sermons that have been spoken on the vine and the branches. And I remember as a kid learning about it in Sunday school. And uh, I remember the sense of responsibility, responsibility to be a really good Christian. And I would wake up every morning and I would have this steely resolve. And I was going to be the perfect person that Jesus had called me to be. And I would produce lots of fruit. And um, I would have such resolve and determination, but it would all fall apart within 10 minutes when I got to the breakfast table. And my brothers and sisters were in the cereal box wars, and I would get entangled in it too. I probably started some of them. And uh, my sister would bait me, and you know what kids are like in the morning. And uh, I would always be shattered because, God, how can I be a Christian with my brothers and sisters around? <laughs> Um, yeah, and I'd leave, to, leave for school feeling really frustrated and uh, a real failure. And how could Jesus ever love me? Because I'm never going to be that perfect Christian. God, why did you have to set such high standards? Um, I saw this picture on the on a toilet wall recently, which pretty much sums my experience up. Dear God, so far today I've done okay. I haven't gossiped to my haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, or selfish. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. And that's when I'm really going to need a lot of help. I'm um, yeah. So it's probably a common experience. How do you feel when you uh, read this passage in John? Have you had similar feelings of frustration and failure as you've tried to be fruitful? 
what happened in this last week where you feel like you haven't done enough despite all you had to give? It's kind of similar to that question that Graham asked us, isn't it? How holy are you? And even as adults, I think we can take this message the wrong way or miss the point like I did back then. What does a fruitful life really look like and how do we be fruitful? Now this call to be fruitful isn't actually just a New Testament concept. If you think about the Old Testament, the call to be fruitful is everywhere. In fact, it's the first command given to Adam and Eve, go forth and be fruitful. And um, the Jewish people had a very strong association with fruitfulness and identity tied up with a vine producing fruit. It pops up everywhere. And just remember um, Joshua and Caleb when they went into spy on the promised land. God's sign of, his, of their fruitfulness um, and his fruitfulness to them if they lived according to his ways and worshipped him alone was this big bunch of grapes and it was so huge that they needed two men to carry it. Think of how much wine you could have made with that. It would have been amazing. And no matter if we're Christian or not, we actually all have this deep um, urgency or desire to produce something with our lives, don't we? We all feel like we have to have purpose. We need to be fruitful. And this call to be fruitful is uh, actually a God-given desire. But we need to understand how we can be fruitful in the correct way. I didn't, know, didn't ever think my own child would be the most disrupting in a church service. Never mind. God bless you, Anya. <coughs> the first posture we often uh, take when we read this kind of passage, um, our first kind of response is one to strive. Christians constantly strive to produce fruit. We have this long list of things that we have to do. We've got devotional times that we have an agenda with actually no room for God to speak and upset our routine. We serve on the church roster, we make meals, we're involved in prayer ministry and the welcome team, and, the, and on the outside we're actually overachievers. There's nothing wrong with being involved with all of these things, but sometimes you can still feel like you haven't done enough, and we wonder why we don't feel the peace of God, and we instead feel unappreciated by everyone and burnt out. And the other response is actually just to feel so overwhelmed by the call to produce fruit that in the feeling of in the space of being feeling so inadequate we just feel paralyzed and we actually do nothing and if we really examine ourselves we might actually just feel a little bit resentful of all of those people who are producing fruit so i'm not going to ask you to put your hand up on where you are on that spectrum because we all kind of sway one way or the other but it is something worth asking where are you where do you find yourself leaning and neither response is actually sustainable. Neither response is giving us the life that God intended for us. We don't have peace, we feel restless, and we can have the tendency to say, God, this life is just hard work. I'd rather ditch my faith, like that girl who I told you a few weeks ago. This can't be all there is. Where is this abundant life that you speak about? And there's so much to talk about in this passage, and I'm sure you've heard many sermons on this passage, but the one point that I really felt God um, put on my heart to give to us today is that producing fruit isn't the main point here. It certainly is important, but there is something far more foundational that Jesus is saying that I didn't grasp as a child and sometimes I forget to grasp as an adult. And what Jesus is saying is that relationship with him is the foundation to producing fruit. So he's called us to produce fruit, but we aren't directly responsible for the production of fruit. What we are called to do is to maintain relationship with him, Jesus, who is the vine, through the help of the Holy Spirit, and then the fruit will follow. Let's look a little bit closer at this passage. 
Um, fruitfulness, as you can see in red, is mentioned seven times out of eight verses. That's a pretty high hit rate. Now, there are never any superfluous words in the Bible. Back then, um, literature was not as easy to produce as it is today. So if there's something mentioned that many times, it's worth taking note. The author's actually trying to get your attention about something. But what occurs even more than the word fruitfulness, or fruit, is the verb to remain. There's eight times. That's one a verse. So there's a beautiful connection here between the call to produce fruit and the call to remain in Christ. In this passage, we don't just see the call for us to remain in Christ, but we also see the promise that he will remain in us. It's a beautiful relationship. I'm just going to quickly pack, unpack the word remain a little bit further to help us understand what does it mean to remain. All very well saying remain in Christ. Yes, it's kind of a cliche verse. What does it really mean? Remain means to abide, to stay, to continue to be present. And the Greek author has actually used uh, the, the word in this passage to indicate something which has established itself permanently within one soul and it always exerts its power in them. So if you're inviting someone to remain in you and you're going to remain in them, you're inviting them to establish themselves permanently in you and to always exert their power in you. You're inviting Jesus to do that for you. To maintain unbroken fellowship is another definition. And another way of understanding what to, to remain or to abide means is to actually look at the opposite. Now, I've got a friend who pastors a church in Melbourne, and one of their mantras is, abide, don't strive. So the opposite of abiding is to remain. Sorry, the opposite of abiding and remaining is to strive. And that's the exact posture that I was talking about before. One of our first responses is to strive, and that's the opposite to what God's actually calling us to do. My favourite translation of this passage, which I think really helps us to understand what Jesus is saying with the word remain, is found in the message translation, where the NIV has used remain. Eugene Peterson has translated, make yourselves at home with me. Isn't that cool? Home. Home is where the heart is. Home is a place of refuge and a place where Jesus invites us to be at home. Being at home with someone is a posture of relationship. It's not necessarily a place or circumstantial. Being at home with someone is who you feel most able to be yourself around. I'm most at home with Graham and some of my family and with the closest of my friends. And it's actually something that stuck out to both Graham and I on our first date. Uh, we both went away with a sense of, oh, I felt really at home with that person. Um, we both felt like we could just be ourselves. We didn't have to prove anything or impress one another. Or And when you're at home with someone, you don't have to be doing anything in particular. You don't have to be achieving anything. There's no striving. You're just yourself. You can talk about the difficulties in life. You can lie on the couch and cry your eyes out in front of them. You can laugh with them. You can have that kind of ugly belly laughing cry. I mean laugh. Belly. Uh, what, you know what I mean. <laughs> You're laughing so hard to cry, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, yeah, there's no striving or impressing. And what matters is your relationship and just spending time with one another. Now, I've got this really close friend called Sarah, um, who's actually the same girl in Melbourne. And uh, I just counted up the other day. I, had seven to, I know 17 Sarahs. I don't know what was going on with my mother's generation, but it was a name that was in fashion and they abused it. Anyway, um, so this Sarah from Australia, 
um, came over to visit and we had a whole list of things to do. Um, we had all sorts of plans but we had the most horrendous storm and totally wrecked our plans. We actually couldn't do anything except a couple of soggy walks. But that was okay because we're such good friends and we know each other so well. We just sat on the couch and drank tea and wine and laughed and shared about our frustrations in life and our sadnesses. And um, we still had an amazing holiday together because although our plans didn't work and we didn't do anything fun, um, our friendship was based on who we are as people and not on what we can find to do each other. And this is a bit like what Jesus is calling us to do. He asks us to remain at, remain at home with him. To be at home is to sit on the metaphorical couch with Jesus and to just be ourselves, to feel safe and secure in him. No matter what's going on outside, no matter what storms of life you're in the midst of, it's a posture of trust and of peace, not anxiety and striving. It's a very different posture to sitting anxiously on the edge of our seat, twitching our fingers waiting for the storms of life to pass so that we can get on with whatever else we've got to do. So you can be sitting on the couch anxiously in each other's company, we can be fully relaxed, chilled out. The storms are still going on, but you're actually in this different posture of at home with him. As I said before, we most feel at home with um, our friends. And do you know what I love about this passage? This is gold. Jesus actually calls us his friends. Remember when he calls us his first, he called his first disciples, he said, um, come and follow me. I will teach you to make. I will make you my disciples. I will teach you to be fishers of men. And he calls Peter and John out of the boats. Well, by the time we get to chapter fifteen in John, Jesus says, "I no longer call you servants, but I have called you my friends." Jesus calls us his friends. So just like with your human friends, you feel at home with Jesus is inviting us to have that same deep relationship with him feeling secure emotionally, physically, spiritually, like you would with a true friend. And that's what it really means to have a deep relationship with God, is to feel like he is your best friend, not just someone who you worship on a Sunday because you have to, or because you've been taught that way. Having the knowledge that he will take you on a journey, which sometimes involves pruning, which is not a season of fruitfulness, but then you go back into harvest season where you are fruitful. Sometimes when we're being pruned, it's hard and we're not actually producing fruit. And there are seasons of fruitfulness and seasons of harvest. That's also something that we need to remember. But when you're at home with Jesus, he'll guide you and direct you in those seasons. So what does it actually look like? Giving Jesus time and space and full permission to sit and disrupt your agenda. Allowing yourself to sit in the pain and frustration of life and not try to speed through that. So that you can abide in him. Be real and honest. And I remember I went through, as Graham said, I went through Regent and I went through this time of hideous depression, which I will talk at some point about. Um, and I just couldn't find God in the middle of it. And I remember saying to my friend, oh, I just want to get through this so I can move on. I can actually write my papers and I can actually study and hear from God again because I just could not. And she said, Sarah, you just need to sit in the mud and stop struggling and just stay there and invite Jesus into that place. And that was quite powerful for me because I had to actually just stop struggling and try and move. And he actually moved me through without me trying to move myself over time. And um, I found a great quote, which is kind of in a similar vein, by the author and teacher Graham Cook. And he writes, In any given situation, no matter how stressed or anxious you are, look for the presence of God and stand next to it. 
So I had to do that. I had to be like, God, I can't see you, I can't feel you, I'm in a really tough situation. Where are you? And I remember just closing my eyes and I saw a picture of him at the end of my bed. And I just, and then I would just, every day, where are you, Jesus? Where are you? And uh, sometimes I'd see pictures, sometimes I wouldn't. But I just got the sense that he was with me. And then again, as I was writing this talk, as, I don't know if any of you have heard this before, but when you preach on something, true teaching comes from a heart where you've been taught that material yourself. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, otherwise you're just speaking, you're not actually speaking out of your heart. And on that spectrum, that I, that's why it's a bit dangerous to speak about stuff, especially like, God, I'm going to speak on patience. Okay, you're going to test me on that. Um, <laughs> on the spectrum that I spoke before, I am definitely a striver. You can ask Graham. Uh, he will confirm. I absolutely love teaching and doing stuff, but teaching and spending time preparing for today has been a joy. But because of my striving tendencies, I had a stack of commentaries this tall, and I had piles of books and information, and I could easily have taken 40 hours to produce a 20-minute talk. I didn't have that 40 hours because I have a young child, but uh, I would have easily just gone and gone and gone. But as I sat down and I read and I kind of started to put together a few words that I thought I wanted to draw together, I realised that the Holy Spirit wanted to do something else, and he wanted to teach me as I prepared. He wanted to take me home, not dead, but home, to a place where he taught me what the presence of light of him, uh, taught me the essence of what this passage is about for us and for me. And he showed me that my planning and all my reading and my conscientiousness was actually just to make myself feel safe and secure that I had done a decent job. Feeling satisfied that I had produced a good theological talk with uh, proper exegesis and that I had achieved something and I could be like, yep, I did my best. But my current posture wasn't one of being chilled out, it was one of sitting on anxiously on the edge of the couch um, in his presence but not really wanting him to disrupt me because I was on a roll. <laughs> and God was challenging me to a really different posture, one of true abiding, one where I sat on the metaphorical couch open and waiting for him to speak to me what he wanted to say to you through this passage. My agenda didn't matter because that wouldn't produce fruit. But by me learning to really abide in him, that was the only way I could bring forth fruit. I still had to do my preparation, of course, but it was a different posture. It was abiding in Christ. It wasn't striving. And this is really the main point that I feel God wants us to take away today. And this is also the same reason why we've called ourselves Abide Church. More important than the fruitfulness is the posture of remaining in him. Because out of that posture of abiding and being at home with him comes the fruit. More important than our fruitfulness is a posture of remaining in him. Because out of that posture of abiding and being at home with him will come the fruit. And when we truly learn to abide in him, the fruit will always follow. Leslie Newbegin, who's one of my favourite theologians, says, The production of fruit is not directly the responsibility of the branches. The gardener charges himself with the responsibility. The disciple following him can be relieved of anxiety about fruit bearing. He has only one task, to abide in the vine. The rest is the work of the gardener. The more we strive to do God's job, the more we fail, get exhausted and burn out. And then it feels too much and we sometimes walk away. But actually all we need to do is crawl back on that metaphorical couch and sit with Jesus and allow him to abide with us.
and he will bring forth the right fruit in the right season. And the last thing as I finish is that we need to remember abiding is rest. God doesn't even ask us to abide without the help of the Holy Spirit. He promises to send the Holy Spirit to abide in us so that we can abide in him. And he's so excited about this that he says, I need to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, we are able to abide in Christ. We don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to work it out on our own. And through the Holy Spirit will come the fruit. The Holy Spirit has a pretty big role to play, doesn't he? He's the one who makes us holy. He's the one who calls us, helps us to be the priests and the image bearers. And he's the one who helps us to abide with Christ and to produce the fruit. And only through the Holy Spirit can we be the fruitful people that God calls us to be. Fruitfulness that leaves us feeling satisfied as the true people of God. And this is really why we call ourselves abide. It's only through being at home with God, only through abiding in him, that we can be any kind of church at all, any kind of resemblance to the people of God who are salt and light in the world around us. Early next year, we're going to begin to look at some of the spiritual practices that help us as we cultivate and grow in our relationship with Jesus. Um, They aren't going to be a massive list of things to add to your daily life, um, but really it's opening pockets of space where we're inviting God to come and speak to us, no matter what we're doing. Inviting us to sit on that metaphorical couch, whether we're driving the car or whether we're teaching our kids or whether we're cooking dinner or whether we're at work. And as a church, we feel it's important to spend the first part of our year really digging into what it looks like to abide as the people of God and really cultivating deep relationships with God. We're not going to focus on mission or the other fruits to start with. We will eventually, but we really just need to focus on discipleship and what it is to cultivate that really deep relationship with God, which comes from abiding in Christ. So I'm just going to quickly pray and um, then invite the worship team up. And next week, Graham's going to kick us off into the Advent series. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you sent to be with us. We thank you that we don't need to do this on our own. Even abiding with you, even learning how to be in a relationship with you is something that you promised to help us with. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and minister to us. And that you would teach us what it really means to have this posture of abiding. In your name,